You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno, live on air from Copenhagen, Denmark, and this is Tuesday, June 21st. Finally, guys, we are on air with a bit of good news, with stocks up on the day after a terrible week just last week. And uh, with me to discuss the price action today, I have Tony Greer, the founder of TG Macro and the editor of The Morning Navigator. Tony, my friend, how are you today? Andreas, what's happening, man? Thanks for getting together. What's cooking? Well, what a day in stocks. Basically, we had a rebound finally. Um, Tesla is rebounding like crazy after some news from uh, from Elon Musk, and stocks are generally up. So, what do you make of the price action today, my friend? <laughs> yeah, you know, it feels like we're finally exiting that um, tick index Godzilla season where we were. We saw nine out of ten days where um, the the Dow Jones Industrial Average registered massive downside extremes in the tick index, which is the sort of uptick minus downtick index on the NYSE. Um, those large magnitude prints on the downside indicate that everybody is hitting bids simultaneously. There's indiscriminate selling going on. And that's what we saw for nine out of 10 days that, you know, rearrange the S&P, you know, from 4,200 down to 3,600. And I guess, not sure what made this sort of smoke settle or anything like that, but um, you know we're, we've settled in today and we've got a little two or three percent bounce in the S and P, two and a half percent, about the same in the Nasdaq, and there's finally a reprieve. And it really just looks like a little bit of a relief rally in the leadership today. We've got oil services and um, energy once again, but there's also some technology with some of the big, larger cap technology stocks rallying. So, you know, what's come, what's happened is we've just adjusted inflation expectations dramatically lower in the wake of that 75 basis point Fed rate hike. Um, you know, we still got the curve warning recession with twos tens converging around 3.2% around flat, obviously going inverted and everybody in the markets is going to start talking about a recession. Mm. Um, but we're into some of those big technical support zones for those break evens. And I think that, uh, you know, I think they'll hold because you kind of can't, you can't put away the money supply growth of 25% in 2020 and, and 12% last year. And you can't put away $9 trillion of Fed balance sheet 
um, that simply, right? Like that's what I think is probably causing a lot of the inflation that we're seeing. So I don't think that genie is going to go back in the bottle very simply or very quickly. But obviously, the Fed is going to have some kind of an effect on markets when they come out with a larger than expected rate hike. So I think we're just grappling, and uh, you know, this is what you have to navigate, uh, which looks like a little bit of an extended bear market for stocks. Um, I think it's all basically due to that story that I've been, you know, trying to get traders to buy into is that we're in a great rotation where everybody is going to have to pile out of technology and into natural resources as commodity strength really um, stays with us based on fundamentals and interest rates rise due to commodity inflation. So that's kind of still fits in with my picture. We just saw a little bit of a pullback with all the damage on the screen, you know, that kind of shook up everything. Uh, but I think that we'll sooner rather than later, now that sentiment is ticked into the fear level, um, you know, the CNN fear and greed index has been in the teens for the last several days, indicating massive fear, which is what I would expect after that kind of a Godzilla like sell off. So, Andreas, we're really we're just rolling with the punches here. We're rolling with a lot of volatility. The VIX is still, you know, mysteriously 30 bid today, even as stocks recover. So it's saying that we're not out of the woods yet. And I guess it's probably going to take a while for the markets to digest what just happened to them. And I think we'll probably at some point be let out of this dip by a resurgence in commodities because their underlying strength seems to be fairly strong despite you know, the, the Federal Reserve and everyone in the media is starting to bark about a pending recession. That's my take. So let's assume for a second that this is a bounce within a bear market, right? What would you look for as triggers to sell again? Great question. So what I would look for is um, leadership in retracements by the sectors that are performing worst on the year, right? Like software and internet stocks and social media, um, and even FANG stocks. I would look for all of them to uh, show leadership in the S&P and probably outperform a lot of the other sectors for a little while as it sort of drives the NASDAQ into moving average resistance levels that it's just pulled so far away from that we're probably in very oversold territory. And so I think when we see that kind of leadership into resistance, Andreas, that's where I really want to um, you know, turn my book around and put some shorts out in the technology space and hopefully hold on to my natural resources longs through that. Yeah, it's been a bit of a quiet day if we look at the uh, economic calendar. Uh, so let's discuss the commodity markets in depth instead, because I mean everybody's watching the oil price currently. Even Jay Powell is probably watching it on a day by day basis. Um, I know you follow these markets very, very thoroughly, uh, Tony. Um, if we look at the oil price price action since last week when you were on this show on on Tuesday, uh, we had a bit of a dip in in the oil price, but it bounced a bit uh, back today. What do you make of the price action lately in, in, in the oil price? Uh, you know, it, it fits right in with the, with the de-risking that we've seen, Andreas. It seems like, you know, it's been, it was a steep and a late pullback because it's kind of like, you know, uh, the, the bears got to the commodity sector last because the commodity sector was putting up such a good fight for such a long time while the bears were having their way with the stock market. And so if you I think eventually we'll look back at this, you know, little episode here where crude oil pulls back into moving average support around 110 as just a dip to the 50 day moving average. 
you know, within a secular uptrend. And it may break this level. It may trade a bit lower from here. I don't really know. But I do know that what was a standout feature was that the calendar spreads remain firm in crude oil. The crack spread, which um, has been in a 50, 50 bit at $60 range for the last several weeks, remained in that range during the entire repricing of crude oil from 124 to to 110. And so that's a tell to me that, you know, that is the underlying strength in the market. And that is likely what is going to catch fire again and lead the markets out of this dip, you know, and get the market to embrace a little bit of risk again. And, and you know, eventually we'll have one of those, you know, large magnitude retracement days where you look around and the coast is clear and there's no fun blowing their brains out all over the tape. And next thing you know, there's really nobody standing around to sell any more stock because they've done so over the last 10 days in the 500 point slide. So, you know, it feels like we're set for a moment of retracement. Um, you know, I don't know how far it's going to go today. It was, today wasn't a bad start, but it is what the type of slow start that I would expect personally after such a vicious move lower. Mm. I, I wouldn't expect markets to just pick up and go again. I would imagine that there's residual selling all over the place and buyers are being as careful and as probably short sighted right now as they can be, you know, just trying to keep initial purchases together and seeing if things hold. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching a couple levels in copper as well. If I can switch commodities on you, Andreas, 8,800 in, in LME copper is the bottom of the range, the, the large range that copper has been in for two years. Um, you know, we had a lot of false breakouts above 10K on the upside, um, you know, back in March and April when the commodity complex was firing. And now that we've adjusted inflation expectations lower and adjusted economic expectations lower, Copper's fallen to the bottom of the range at 8,800. So it will be very relevant to me if we break this level and start to register a few closes below that level. If that's the case, it might start indicating to me that this natural resources pullback might have further to go. Mm. If we hold these levels here like we have in the past several years and buying materializes, you know, then then it's maybe a better chance that the commodity complex gets back on its horse again and maybe, you know, retraces back to the middle or top of the range that it's been trading in. So everything seems manageable here within the ebb and flow of, of the market dynamic. It's just a little bit risky at the moment. If we look at the crack spread, uh, you mentioned that spread often. Um, we can bring a chart on the screen with the recent price action in the three to one crack spread. Please unpack for the audience why it is such an important spread to watch. Yeah, that's a great question, Andreas. And it, what it is is really, you know, the oil market's um, barometer for gasoline demand. You know, in an indirect way. It, what it really is, is the margin that refiners can earn when they buy three barrels of oil and crack them out into two barrels of um, gasoline and one barrel of diesel fuel. So um, with that spread, you know, when, when Trump was in office, that was a measly six or seven dollars spread for the refiners. What's happened that is blown out to around 50 or 60, between 50 and 60 dollars right now. The reason being is gasoline demand has remained firm and WTI supplies have been thin and, and dear. So that's why the curve is backward dated. Um, 
what happens in that scenario is refiners can buy crude oil at almost any price on the board, as you can see, and sell it out for massive profits. Um, not massive profits, but the market will bear those profits because the spread is so wide and gasoline and jet fuel are still in high demand. So, you know, we're, we're still seeing, despite these calls for an economic slowdown, the media has gone and gone berserk with it. They love talking about a recession. They love talking about things like that. And and to me, it doesn't seem like, the, you know, we've really priced in that much weakness in the commodity markets just yet. The demand seems to be there. People following the markets have got steady demand numbers, you know, coming on the next several quarters. The IEA just said demand through 2023 is going to exceed this year's. So we're talking about record gasoline demand in a period where, you know, we're, we're kind of turning the tables and changing the way we're going to be acquiring our energy. And so that's kind of made uh, for a lot of ripples and a lot of tightness in various different places of the energy markets, if that's fair to say. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a personally a very avid watcher of the Federal Reserve, and I've noted lately, lately that Jay Powell has started, started talking about the price at the pump, basically, as the best gauge of inflation. Um, both Jay Powell and Joe Biden, they both want the price to come down now. But what will it take for them to succeed? <laughs> uh, a, a U-turn in policy, if you ask yeah. me, right? I, I'm pretty sure that that's the only thing. Um, as a trader, I've been able to, you know, not not leave my feet, meaning meaning not get faked out on any moves lower in the crude oil markets, because no matter what, the administration continues to step on the gas toward net zero. Right. And when they when the ideas squeak out or leak out on how they're going to deal with the crisis of gasoline going to five and then soon seven dollars they're going to you know come out with stimulus checks they're going to come out with you know inflation aid checks they're going to come out with a tax free gasoline day they're going to do everything but reverse the policy that got us here so no matter what if we get back to at any point get back to you know driving gasoline demand really robust gasoline demand you can see prices go to 9 and 10 dollars at the pump and I'm pretty sure the administration won't take any blame or credit for that at all. And they'll still continue to cancel leases on federal lands and they'll still continue to you know, make it um, financially unviable to invest in new, um, new, new exploration. So you know, as long as that's their case and their axe to grind, it makes it very easy for traders to stay in the energy bull market. It really does. Yeah, I have to agree uh, on that assessment. Uh, I mean, um, if we look at the current oil production, it's still clearly below pre-pandemic levels in the U.S. Uh, and obviously, it's one of the charts I'm watching right now, whether they can actually bring up uh, the oil production to pre-pandemic levels at all. They're currently also releasing strategic reserves right from uh, based on, on a decision taken in the White House. I mean, is it a at all a politically feasible scenario to bring oil production back to pre-pandemic levels or even higher. 
I don't think so. We're still, hmm. where are we right now? Uh, we are at uh, roughly 12 million barrels a day. So that's still a million barrels per day shy of, you know, the production level that we got to at the end of Trump's term. Hmm. Right. And so there's still a long, that, that's a lot of production, by the way, a million barrels a day. Um, you know, unless we're going to get back to that level, we're not going to put a dent in gasoline or, pri- or prices at the pump at all. And I don't think that we can get back to that level without a reversal of some of the policy. Right. And there's, you know, there's now talk about, you know, they're managing the political optics by saying, oh, okay, we've got a trip out to Saudi Arabia. And it's it looks very much like Mohammed bin Salman said, I'll pass on the trip when Biden said he was going last time, because the next headline that came out was they raised prices to their Asian clients to a new record. Mm. Right. And so I feel like he was kind of sticking it right in the president's eye there saying not only are am I not taking a meeting with you to provide more oil, I'm actually raising prices. That's the reality of what's going on right now. And so until I see, um, you know, Joe Biden standing around an orb with Mohammed bin Salman having a laugh, I'm not going to believe that that meeting is going to take place. And I am not going to believe that Saudi Arabia is going to have any interest in trying to generate lower oil prices. I really don't see it happening. Mm. So we still got that that plus the Russia-Ukraine situation to deal with that seems like it's going to be with us through Biden's entire term. Mm. And, you know, as we can see um, with the situation in Europe, they have to they're coming to out of desperation, the need to find a solution to getting gas from Vladimir Putin. Right. So they started off getting 40 percent of their total gas from Russia. As it turns out, after a couple of fields and a few natural gas fires, only 60 percent of that gas is coming over. So the shortfall is now getting mathematically desperate. And I think there was a German um, energy finance uh, energy minister or something that finally admitted if we were in winter months right now, this would be a major crisis. And he's talking about in terms of generating baseload power. So, you know, that's where we know that they have not filled their storage tanks to capacity, that there's probably still an underlying bid in natural gas market um, with Europe and the U.S. probably trying to add to storage ahead of this winter, especially on this dip that we just saw from nine dollars down to six fifty six seventy five last. So with energy into support, I think that that's going to be the uh, leading risk Secure, those will be the leading sectors that will lead us um, to taking a bit more risk and out of this hole in the S&P for a certain period of time. And then we'll see, Andreas. Yeah, I can even add that Germany has taken a decision to restart a couple of coal-based power plants as a consequence of what's going on in natural gas space. Uh, and guess where they buy most of that coal right now? Yes, Russia. Don't tell uh, me so, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually true. Uh, so, I mean, you cannot make this shit up, to be um, brutally honest. Um, that it was is, a lot of debate on the, on the supply side, Tony. I also wanted to touch uh, a bit upon the demand side, because obviously, if we see material demand destruction, that is something that could alter the picture. And I wanted to, to, to play a clip for you. Um, Jared Dillion spoke to Michael Howell uh, on the Real Vision platform uh, earlier this week on the risk of a global uh, recession. Um, so let's have a look at that clip and debate the demand side after that. I think they're going to get they're going to get nowhere near. Uh, the the expectations that the market has. I just don't think they can push rate increases through 
uh, fast or aggressively enough uh, without deriding the economy. Because what you've got to remember at the same time is they're actually shrinking the balance sheet. And the balance sheet shrinkage means a lot, lot more in terms of the stability of the financial system as well. So these two factors combined, you're going to start to see a very significant recession unfolding and the Federal Reserve will get spooked. So inflation may well come down. But I think people are asking, with all due respect, the wrong question on inflation. It's not when inflation peaks that is the key thing. It's when inflation comes back to a sustainable level. And what we've got now is a lot of persistence in the inflation rate. If you do very simple calculations of US inflation, you'll see that the pass-through from month to month is up at the same clip that it was at when Volcker came into the Fed in 1978. Uh, you know, he came in to kill inflation. And he did that. But you've got to remember that Volcker created two recessions in three years to get there. Okay, uh, Jay Powell is probably not a Volcker, but he's treading a similar path. But the Fed is going to try and break the system. That, that's, what it's, uh, that's, what it, it, that's what it typically does. It needs to get inflation down. It can't act on supply. It can only act on demand. And that's what it's focused on. And I'm absolutely sure you're going to get uh, a recession in the US. But believe me, the recession in the rest of the world may well be a lot worse uh, because the dollar is going up at the same time. And that's, that's not good for international borrowers. The full interview is available on the uh, Real Vision platform for users with an essential subscription. But um, back to the topic, Tony, a global recession. Is, um, is that something that could alter your view on, on energy if we get such one? Uh, yes, it'll be something that I'll be on, God, on guard for. And if Michael Howell is predicting one, I am certainly not going to argue with that guy. So if that is, you know, his base case and I have to factor that in, um, you know, I'll have to decide and the market will tell me what does that mean for gasoline and diesel demand, right? Because all a recession means is two period, two quarters of negative GDP growth, right? So we've got one quarter on the tape already, right? We got that minus one and a half percent for the last quarter. Say we get another quarter of minus one and a half percent growth, Andreas. I mean, you, you may know better than me. Is that something that puts a damper on anyone's personal gasoline demand? Right. Does it stop anyone from taking a trip somewhere? You know, I understand airline ticket prices and I'm shopping for some of them and they're completely, you know, four and five X where they were during mm. the um, lockdowns, obviously. Um, but obviously now being affected by higher gas and fuel prices. And I guess my point is I still don't know if we're at the point where it puts that big of a dent in demand, you know, because commerce is something that burns gasoline every day, no matter what. Right. And we wake up every day and we burn a certain amount of, you know, number of millions of barrels and we continue to do that. I don't know if given the tightness of the markets, if there is a serious response in price to the market going into uh, to the economy going into a recession, mm. right? If gasoline were to fall from five to two dollars right now because we went into recession, that would probably pull us immediately out of the recession, wouldn't it? We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. I, and I mean, what you're saying is is basically the best argument against a recession already this summer. I mean, the travel activity is back. Tourism is booming, at least unless Fauci and his peers come up with some sort of new variant of concern, right? Uh, but but otherwise, I think the tourism will boom this summer. I mean, it's impossible to get a hotel in Europe. I guess it's the same in in um, in the U.S. So I, I think we can call off the risk of a recession for the sh- at least for the short term, given that the service sector will fare. Uh, tremendously well over summer given this uh, but i want yeah. to before that's such a great point because that to me is case in point when the bond market starts you know the 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 pundits start getting excited because the bond market starts calling for a recession when the spreads collapse right and they go potentially they tick inverted et cetera, et cetera, and all the pundits on tv say oh a recession is coming there's always a hidden strength in the economy or not so hidden strength that winds up making up for whatever recession these people were conjuring. And I think you nailed it right there, what it could be this time, because I agree coming out of the lockdowns, I don't know if anybody's going to hold back on doing anything for the next year or two, no matter what prices are. So you make a great point there. And I tend to agree very much that it's going to have a hard time backing off energy uh, commodity demand. That, that's just what I think, even if the economy does slow down for another quarter. Um, talking about demand, Sony, um, there is a big demand uh, among our listeners uh, for an update on your refiners trade. You talked about that trade a couple of weeks ago on this exact show. Can you please give, an, uh, give us an update on the price action in that uh, particular sector? And which one are we talking about? The, uh, the refiners oh, trade. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, look, I, Andreas, this, this is exactly what I wrote my note about this morning. You know, I think you're getting an opportunity in energy stocks now, you know, broadly speaking, because they are finally on sale and have pulled into moving average support. At least if you are a portfolio manager and you are looking to get into this space Hmm. where I'm sure a lot of portfolio managers are and you pass up on this chance and miss it, you're an idiot. Right. That's all I want to say. So I think personally that a lot of people are going to part putting some of their chips toward the energy space on this dip, broadly speaking. Then if you go into the refiner trade, the best gauge that I've had, you know, we've kind of beating a dead horse now with the curry two one crack spread. But if you can make the observation that, for example, um, let me just call up a name that I that I spoke about this morning, like Delic, which is a large scale, you know, U.S. refiner. Delic Holdings, the ticker is DK. I just find it interesting that last week, the crack spreads, which have been driving the refiners, right? That's their obvious margin and why they've been rallying. Um, You know, last week with crack spreads at 55.60, Delic was a $35 item. This week with crack spreads at 55.60, Delic is a $27 item. It looks to me like the equity is on sale versus what's going on in the commodity market. And I could be wrong, but this is, once again, another opportunity where I think the portfolio manager has a chance to put his money on the table and say, okay, if I'm wrong, you're going to have to come and take me out and you're going to have to collapse crude oil from here. Mm -hmm. So in as much as I think that that's a low probability 
outcome. I do think that this is the level where, you know, the the, the people that have not gotten into this market are going to have to start putting their chips up on the table. And I think that that's what eventually consolidates it. And then we can rally out of here for, for energy. So that's what I'm looking at. Everything into technical support, opportunities in the stocks versus the fundamental situation. And, you know, in the end, I think it's just going to look like a pullback into the moving averages, Andreas. Yeah, uh, you're probably right on that. Um, Tony, um, we want your view on natural gas prices as well. That's uh, the exact wording of a question from Jim Griffin on the uh, Real Vision side. Uh, he asks you about the um, natural gas price action uh, when Freeport LNG comes back online. Uh, what's your view on that? You know, I, I have to say that if you know the price, the price got clobbered twenty five percent when Freeport LNG went offline for ninety days. I'm going to say that if they stick to the 90-day time period and it comes back online, that we do see some kind of a reprieve on the upside because now all that natural gas will be sold and paid for. So my point is, if if we can get that, if we can count on the 90 days being the the story, um, then we can maybe lean on the fact that we're holding this 650 level for the third time this year since prices have made their highs of nine dollars. So we held 650 in March. We held 650 in April. I would hope that this is the bottom of the range again, somewhere around here. As you can see, it kind of jives with that story that energy might be a buy. You know, the crude oil market might be a buy on this pullback. It's always useful when the natural gas market is in the same condition. Um, so I do think that it holds. It is very much like slaying dragons trying to predict the price of natural gas, though. Um, that is one commodity that I have not been trading directly. I have been trying to just stick to some of the big producers um, for my alpha, like Southwestern, SWN, or you know, Range Resources, RRC, or something like that. We have a great question from Gus uh, on our YouTube channel as well um, on a topic of interest um, because what's unfolding in Japan right now is quite interesting. Uh, there's a huge speculation against the Bank of Japan and the yield uh, curve control that they're currently pursuing. Um, what do you make of the price action that we've seen in the Japanese yen, first of all, and the price pressure on the uh, Bank of Japan right now? Well, it finally explains the you know the the dollar index strength mm. over this entire period to me, right? Like I, I didn't really understand that the market that there was that much of a tidal wave up against the Bank of Japan with that peg, right? I, mm. and it's just my force, my maybe lack of understanding the FX markets or or lack of observation, whatever it is. But I think now that that's teaching us in hindsight that 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 was the real driving force of of dollar buying, right? It, it was it was to sell yen, right, which is obviously getting clobbered um, in this run. So, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I, it's not my business to predict what happens. You know, it's really interesting that they broke that yield curve control peg. Um, it doesn't look, you know, dollar yen continues to break out and drive the dollar. Um, you know, this has been a dynamic um, behind strong commodities for the entire run off the lockdown lows. So I'm going to look for a strong dollar to be OK for the commodity complex this time, too. And from there, I, I don't know what it means other than probably more volatility in FX rather than less.
Yeah, exactly. No. And uh, I mean, big institutions are currently betting against the Bank of Japan and the yield curve control. Um, it is very visible in the futures pricing that um, institutions are testing uh, the Bank of Japan on that 25 basis points peg for the 10-year bond yield in uh, in Japan. We have a um, an inflation report upcoming the 24th of June, as far as I remember in Japan. And if you ask me, uh, I would be on the watch for that uh, particular uh, inflation print because uh, the risk is tilted to the upside for that. And that may carry repercussions for, for Bank of Japan. We have time for one final question. Uh, and I think it's a question that you receive a lot because uh, uranium has obviously been a uh, discussion point for many over the past couple of years. What do you make of the recent uh, price action in uranium? And um, would you remain a bull on, 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 on uranium over time? Yeah, the price action uranium is very, very um, typical of a crazy frontier market like that during a de-risking, right? It's kind of like when the when the risk correlation of everything goes to one, meaning all risk on your pad is hurting you, the risk in uranium looks like a 10 because it's pulsating like a neon nuclear waste on your pad and everybody just runs from that thing. And really, you can't really, it, there's no excuse for getting burned long, uh, a long-term speculative uranium trade like that. So I'm not shocked that it had this pullback. Um, you know, it seems to ebb and flow with how hard the administration pushes the net zero agenda. You know, when you when you see the administration out, you know, making a lot of headlines about net zero and electronic vehicles, um, that's when it tends to surge. And, you know, and then we see pullbacks like we're seeing now. So, you know, I've been just trying to navigate the headlines and 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 stay with the trade if I can. You know, URA probably presents another, you know, opportunity to buy with good risk reward down here into technical support. So I think that it probably holds with the ESG trade and the commodity trade sort of staying alive after this de-risking, if that's fair. That's a fair assessment, Tony. Um, Tony, it's been a great pleasure to host you tonight. Thanks for, for being on the show. Great job for your first time, Andreas. Well done, my man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing this afternoon. Uh, my colleague, Maggie Lake, will be back tomorrow with uh, Darius Dale as the guest. And I know that Jay Powell will be on stage tomorrow as well. So it should be another big day. Have a great afternoon and evening. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.